This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. But we're so glad that you are here today. We are extremely blessed by what God is doing and what a blessing it has been over this last year to see what God has been doing as we've been meeting in this place. I want to just uh, make a couple comments about Easter. It's going to be a very typical um, sermon, if you will, very typical uh, Easter sermon, which I don't think that there's any better way to celebrate what we're doing today than to talk about the resurrection. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to spend some time there today in 1 Corinthians 15. 15. And so this is an important uh, kind of text for us to study. And here's the reason why. The Christian faith is obvious that we have a big deal when it comes to the cross. A really big deal when it comes to the cross. And rightly so. The cross is a major deal. Um, we should rejoice over what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and it's a huge part of the good news. If you were not here on Friday, I won't try to make you feel horrible, but you should. I mean, it was an incredible, it was the best service, not just Good Friday, but the best service that I have ever been a part of. It was the most glorious time, I'm telling you. Um, I wish I could kind of explain it to you in words, but you got to come next year if you didn't make it this year. And we talked about and just read scripture and sang and and watched uh, clips and and just not just thought about, but engaged with our whole self in the cross. And it was amazing, and we should, because by faith in Christ who hung on the judgment tree, we have been declared righteous. We are not guilty. The price has been paid, church. It is finished. Lights out, boom, walk out quiet. If you were there, that makes sense to you. God's enemies are now seated at his banquet table because of the cross. Church, we should be rightly overwhelmed by the cross of Christ. But there's a problem. And that problem is that we, we are overwhelmed rightly by the cross, but it seems to be a drastic difference between how overwhelmed we are by the cross and we tend to overplay or underplay Easter and the bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus. But let me tell you something. The reason why I'm not saying downplay the cross, that's not the point here. I'm not saying bring the cross down. I'm saying we need to bring our resurrection up a little bit. We need to have rightly be overwhelmed just as much by the resurrection. And here's the reason why. Church, without Easter Sunday, Good Friday is just another Friday. You cannot rightly call the cross good news if you don't have the resurrection. Here's here's an interesting fact. Throughout all of history, from the time uh, Christ's resurrection, the church 
has been attacked on their beliefs, on their doctrines. We call them heretical teachings. The vast majority of heretical teachings and attacks on the Christian faith are not on the cross. They're on the resurrection. The vast majority of people attacking the Christian faith doesn't have to do with a loving Savior dying on the cross. It has to do with Jesus getting out of the grave. So much so that much of the New Testament, Paul and the other apostles are trying to confront these heretics for their continual bashing of the resurrection. And 1 Corinthians 15 is another example of that. And we're not going to be able to study all of 1 Corinthians 15, but I would love for you to, to, um, to look at that later. We're going to read part of it today, but I want to make some points that Paul makes. Now listen, they're not my points. I just kind of reworded them a little bit. But Paul is arguing passionately about this idea that a lot of people will go, listen, Christ did not raise from the grave, but it doesn't affect Christianity. Listen, he died for our sins. He did a good work on the cross, but he didn't raise from the grave. And it's not that big of a deal. Some people talk about how maybe Jesus' body had been eaten by wild animals or dogs. Some have talked about how he was secretly stolen by thieves. Some say that the disciples removed him uh, from the grave and that he actually did not rise. But here's, here's the reality. If Jesus did not rise, there's things that we have to really grab a hold of. If Jesus did not rise, it is completely another gospel. Here's, here's a couple things that I want you to take note of or maybe write down. First is this. If Jesus did not rise, preaching the gospel is useless. See, the good news is not good news at all. Matter of fact, it is bad news apart from the resurrection. If Jesus did not literally and physically raise from the grave and conquer sin and death, and Jesus is then not the ruling king, the gospel is not good news. The gospel that we preach is useless. This is not just my point. This is Paul's point. It's useless. If you read through 1 Corinthians 15 and other places, he's saying this is a useless gospel if the resurrection is not there. Another point that he makes is this. If Jesus is not raised, faith in Christ is pointless. You should not have faith in Jesus Christ if he did not resurrect, if he did not come out of the grave. Another point that he makes is this. If Jesus is not resurrected, if Jesus is not risen, Every witness, so every apostle, we're going to read in just a minute, not only Mary Magdalene and the apostles, but the 500 who saw Jesus alive. Every witness of the resurrection and every prophet and preacher all throughout, all throughout history, every one of them is liars. Not just deceived, they're liars. You see, to deny the resurrection is to make all the apostles, all the preachers, all the prophets, all throughout history, liars. It's not just simply a mistake. Either Jesus rose from the grave, 
or this is all pointless and we are all liars. If Jesus is not risen, the next point is this. Christianity is a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. Just put it in with all the other fairy tales and, and, uh, and fairies and godmothers and all the things you can, you know, big pumpkins and, and uh, lizards turning into humans and whatever it is. I, I don't know all the fairy tales, but there's some like that, right? Just put Christianity and lump it all in. Why? Because if Christ is not risen, this whole thing is just a fairy tale. The next thing is this. If Jesus is not risen, all of us, all of humanity is still captive to sin. Listen, his death on the cross is powerful. And a lot of us talk about forgiveness. And a lot of us talk about how we have been forgiven because of the cross. But if it's just the cross and he did not raise from the grave, we're still captive. We're still slaves. If Jesus is not risen, we are all still separated from God and headed to eternal damnation. If Jesus is not risen, Christians are the most foolish people on earth. I love what Paul puts in in 1 Corinthians, and I'll just read this part of it because we're not going to get to this today, but he says it this way. If Christ be not raised, then we of most men should be pitied. If every part of the gospel is true, Except the, God, except the resurrection, then we have spent our days pursuing, pursuing a fairy tale, pursuing a falsehood, pursuing God. And the reality is we should be pitied. The type of word he's using here is that we should be laughed at. We should be pitied, my friends. Listen, I've heard people talk about, well, even if the resurrection is not true, living a Christian life is very moral and it's a good way to live. Even the resurrection is not true. I still lived a good life as a Christian and it's not true and it's a happy life. If someone says that, they don't get the essence of the gospel. Christianity is not about living a good and happy life, church. It's about being restored in relationship to a God who we have been separated from. This is not a moral law. This is not just about falling and living, following and living a good life. And even if he's not raised from the dead, at least I had a happy life. That's not Christianity at all. We're fools. We should be pitied. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes such an argument about the resurrection that if we do not believe in the resurrection... He leaves us, as we should be, hopeless. Hopeless. So today what I hope to do is to convince us how important this resurrection is, but also to excite our hearts by the reality that Jesus is alive. 
Now, when I say that Jesus is alive, because of our cute little Christianity, we struggle with this. But only we don't struggle with it maybe if we know some of our old hymns. And I'll sing this. If you know it, that's great. Some of you, I guarantee you, will not because you had to be raised in kind of Sunday school to know this song. But it goes, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. Anybody know? He walks with me in Oh, some of you, along life's narrow way, he lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within where? My heart, it's a sweet sweet song he lives within my heart except the problem is the evidence of our resurrection sounds a lot like Elvis <laughs> Elvis lives where his music still lives in my heart listen this is not just Christ died and he's still alive how because he lives in my heart. He's dead, but in the, you know, it's kind of like the way we think about dead relatives. They're gone and they're dead, but they're still here. Where? In here. Tupac, Elvis. Where? Here. My heart. What do we teach our children? What do we sing in our songs? How do I know he lives? Here. The problem with that is that the greatest evidence is of the resurrection is not just that he lives in my heart. The apostles did not preach, he lives within my heart. That was not the proclamation of the apostles. The apostles preached an actual bodily resurrection of Jesus. A literal, actual resurrection of Jesus. What we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, and let's stand together, and I want you to see this. Now, here's what I want you to get out of this. Paul is referring to this gospel news, and I want you to see how much of this gospel news is the resurrection. And here's what else I want you to see. He is reciting an oral tradition that has been there from the resurrection of Jesus, that the church would say this kind of tradition. This was passed on as an oral tradition. I want you to hear this. Now, remember, as we're reading this, this is the word of God. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive and in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed what? In vain. For I delivered to you as what? First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, through whom through some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles, last of all, as to, an, as, as to one Untimely and born, he appeared also to me. 
God, I pray that these words would be sinking in our hearts and that we would be challenged and changed by them in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. You may be seated. Notice this, that as Paul is preaching this gospel, he says, this gospel that I preached, unless you believe in vain, you have to understand what this gospel is. And says that he was buried and that he, was, that, that, he, that he lived, that he died on the cross, that he was buried and that he rose again. And then he goes into detail of what it means that he was rose again. He didn't just rise again and live in our hearts. He says, look at all the people. Part of the gospel proclamation is all of the people that saw him actually physically risen from the grave. Mary, Cephas, the 12, 500, James, Paul. This was not a proclamation of Jesus died for your sins and now you just need to ask him into your heart and he'll just live within your heart. This is a proclamation. This is good news. This word gospel is the message we want all of you in this room to know, to believe, and to understand, and to rightly know, and rightly believe, and rightly understand. Why? Unless you believe in vain. If I came to all of you guys in this room and I said, good news, it's Meniere's, nobody understands what I'm saying. Rightly, you shouldn't, but in my heart, I'm overwhelmed by that proclamation. Why? Because I understand the whole story, the whole story surrounding that proclamation. A few years ago, my wife was experiencing some dizziness. We couldn't figure out what it was, and she would have attacks of dizziness. And one day we were in there with all of our kids running around, and my wife said, I need to lay down. And then all of a sudden, I heard something that I did never want to hear again. I hear my wife saying, Aaron, I, I can't walk. The whole room is closing in on me. I, I feel like I'm going to die. I threw her in the car as fast as I could. I called Dave and Lisa, and, and I said, can you take the kids? Dave and Lisa met us at the hospital, and my wife, at that point when we get to the hospital, is telling me, Aaron, I'm going to die. I'm dying. My heart is Pounding. I am crying. I cannot keep myself controlled. I'm trying to put her in the, the thing. Dave and Lisa show up and we're and they take the kids and I'm wheeling Dana, my wife, at 30 years old, wheeling her into this hospital, and she begins to scream. She begins to, to cry out, Aaron, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And she passes out in the in the in, in the wheelchair. And at that moment, I literally thought she died. I don't do this. I, I don't act this way often, but I did not care who was in the room. I didn't care who was in the emergency room. I start screaming, I'm not waiting in line. You're taking my wife now. They wheel her back, and I'm left out there, and I'm thinking my wife has just died. They walk out, and the doctor says to me, good news, it's Meniere's. It's something you can control. It's something that she, it's just an inner ear problem. It's something that literally makes everything unbalanced. At that moment, good news, it's Meniere's meant the world to me. 
The problem with the gospel that we preach, to most people, it sounds like, good news, church, it's Meniere's. And everybody's like, what does that mean? The reason why we say, good news, Jesus loved you and died on the cross for your sins. doesn't make sense to anybody. Why? Because we're zooming in on a part of the story that cannot be understood without the whole. If you don't understand the whole story, then it's not good news at all. It can't be understood. That's why when we stand on street corners and just yell out to people, Jesus loves you, good news, the gospel, this is the good news. People, what do you mean? Why? Because they don't understand the whole story. Why is this gospel so important? And in order for me to really drive this home, church, I have to go to the whole story. And we're going to put up on the screen a few images. You have an arrow pointing down, and that arrow pointing down is that in the beginning, God, who is uncreated, perfect, holy, and loving, this God is three in one. He is perfect, complete in and of himself. But because of his holiness and perfection and his love out of himself, not because of anything that was out there deserving of it, but because of who he was, he created all things. There was nothing to earn his love. There was nothing that would deserve of his love, but it was because of his goodness that he created all things. And not only did he create all things, he gave all things its worth. Not only did he tell all things what they would be, but he gave everything its purpose. He spoke it into existence and he gave it its worth. He gave everything its place and put it in order. All things had value when it was in its place and functioning as it was created to function. But this God created all these things. And then created image bearers who would worship him and reflect it. The Bible says he created man and woman in his own image. And man and woman were made in covenant. In covenant with God and in covenant with one another. And man and woman were to be in this covenant together in covenant with God. And they were created to rule and reign and have dominion over this earth as they lived under God's rule and reign. Shalom. But here's what takes place. In that place, God is king and all of the world is living under his perfect rule and reign. And all of us are living in our place and in our position and in the place that we're created. And we're functioning like a well-oiled machine until sin enters into the scene. How does sin come? Well, sin comes by this angel who has rebelled, this Satan who has rebelled against God. And he didn't want to worship God. He didn't want to live under God's rule rule and reign but he wanted to be worshipped and he wanted all worship to come in it he no longer wanted us to worship God but he wanted us to worship ourselves and him he comes into perfection and he tempts man and woman were in a perfect environment there were no external things or no external reasons that they should have sinned there was perfection all around them everything was in order but what caused sin was pride 
the pride of the heart that said, I don't want to be under God's rule and reign. I don't want him to be king. I want to be king. I want to be God. I want to determine what is good and evil. I don't want to reflect and worship God. I want all the glory and worship to go to myself. We really thought that we would be a better God than him. Sin is rebellion against God. It is believing that we can determine our own destiny and our own good. It's pridefully believing that we can do it ourselves autonomously from God. And what happens in the garden is that we see the effects of sin. The moment that sin happens, they felt shame and they wanted to hide from God and they wanted to cover themselves and they wanted to blame each other. What takes place in sin is that that well-oiled machine is broken. Homes and relationships and identity and all things fall apart. We are separated from our creator and removed from the garden and we no longer have that perfection, that shalom. Why? Because we walked away from living under his rule and reign and being in loving relationship with him. What I love about this story is that we see all throughout the Old Testament, starting in Genesis chapter 3, promises being made. From the very first sin, you see God promising that he will send a son who will crush the head of the serpent and that will take and bru- his heel will be bruised and between our, his seed and, and, and the seed of this world that there will be this savior, this prophecy that will take place. This prophecy from the very beginning and all the way through the Old Testament, there's promises of a Messiah that is coming. Jesus, the promised one. People have been waiting and longing and yearning for this Jesus, this Messiah to come. And what they thought he was going to do is come in and overthrow the government because what they believed is not that they had pride in themselves and not that they were rebellious against God, but they believed it was the system that was holding them back. Years and generations and generations, people are living under the weight of sin and curse and separation, longing for a Messiah. And what takes place is Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah. He comes and lives the life that we should have lived. He dies and pays the debt that we could not pay. And he rose. And he conquered the grave. What it is, is that this Savior comes in and takes upon himself the sins of the world. But he dies on the cross on this Friday. And he takes upon himself the sins of the world. And all those sins are upon him. And he dies the death we should have died. But listen, church. If he just died the death that we should have died then we are hopelessly lost because he was crushed by all of our sins. He was destroyed. But the reality is 
when he rose from the grave, his resurrection is this proclamation of he has destroyed sin and he has been inaugurated once again as king. Because the only way all things are going to come back into order is not by trying to fix it from the bottom up. Jesus must be king. Where God was in in, in, in in the place of kingdom and all were surrendered to him, there was this perfect shalom. And so in order for us to come back under his rule and reign, he had to establish and inaugurate his kingdom with a victorious resurrection, a new life. Why is this good news, church? Why is this good news that Christ has risen from the grave? I'm going to read you a verse. You can turn there and study later just because we have a few minutes. I want to highlight this. Philippians 3 says this, starting in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Here's Paul who's saying, look, I am the most zealous, law-abiding perfect Christian that you could ever think of. I followed all the laws. I did everything passionately. I rose to leadership. And all of those things are rubbish. For what? All of those things are loss. For what? That he would know Christ. That he would have faith and trust in the work of Christ Jesus Here's what I want you to see, this quote by Tim Keller, and then I'm going to end this sermon this morning. The difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of the resurrection, Keller says, is the difference between knowing a person and resembling a person. Here's what you have to see about what Paul is saying here in Philippians. He's saying, I want to know him. What this means is I want to know him in the power of his resurrection means this. I want to be like him. Hear me on this. The reason why we do not have a problem boasting about and shouting about and remembering the cross. The reason we don't have a problem with the cross is because the cross represents Christ's death for the forgiveness of our sins. 
But the reason we downplay the resurrection is because what the resurrection is, is a proclamation, is that the king is alive. And he has conquered sin. And what that means is for us to fully embrace the gospel. It's not just about us saying Jesus has forgiven us of sins. It's about us saying he's forgiven us of sin and he's conquered sin. And now he is seated once again as king of all. And I joyfully submit my life. The reason why we have struggles with surrendering our life to Jesus and the gospel is not because he's forgiven us. Because all of us in this room know we're forgiven. The part that we have a hard time embracing is that he has come not to just be savior, but Lord of your life. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Look at the anger in your life. It could be turned to forgiveness. Look at the insecurity in your life. It could be turned to great confidence. Look at your self-centeredness. How does that get turned into compassion and generosity? The answer is this. The only way that we can completely be changed is if the resurrected Savior, by the Spirit of God, the minute that His Spirit comes into our hearts, the same power that raised Christ from the dead comes in and raises our hearts from the dead and we receive new life. If the Spirit is in you, no longer have you received, just not only have you received a death like His, you have received new life. Your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit have been completely changed because of his resurrection. He's alive. Church, right now as we're talking about this gospel, this good news, some of you in this room can sense the Spirit of God calling you. Some of you in this room can hear and sense by the Spirit of God. Listen to me, church. It is the Spirit of God that is showing you that you are a horrible king in your life. You've been trying to be king, and right now the Spirit is showing you you're a bad king. You weren't created to be king. That your attempts to run your life have been a rebellion against the God who created you. And today you came into this room thinking this is just going to be a normal kind of religious Easter service. But what I'm believing for some of you is that the Holy Spirit right now has been sent by God to arrest your hearts. To open your eyes today to the best news of all. And all of a sudden, your heart that was hard, your heart that was in rebellion to the God of this world, the heart that said, I want to run my own life, is being completely softened by the proclamation of the gospel. And in this room, at this moment, it doesn't matter if you've been sitting in churches all of your life or if this is your first day in a church. It doesn't matter. The Spirit of God may be knocking at the door of your heart, softening your heart today. 
And right now, you see that I too have rebelled against this God. I too have chosen to say, I want to run my own life. Oh sure, I might have said, yes God, please forgive me because I know I've done wrong things. But I haven't believed the gospel proclamation that he's risen from the grave and he is king of all. And I haven't surrendered my life to him as Lord and Savior. All that matters to you right now is that you no longer want to be in the darkness. You want to be in the light. And all that matters to you right now is that you no longer want to be deceived by your sin, but you want to know the truth. And all that matters to you right now is you want to repent of trying to run your own life and do your own thing and do it the way you want to do it. And today, you joyfully want to surrender your lives. And you say, oh, I'm, I, I know I've done all these right. I boast. I've been to church. I've done all these things. But like Paul, something hit you today. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you've read or how many prayers you've said. You know deep in your heart you have not surrendered your whole life to him. This does not mean... That you do everything perfect. Paul makes that very clear. This means that he is the resurrected Savior and that without his grace and without his resurrection, you are lost and hopeless. And the greatest joy of the Christian heart is this. You want to know Jesus in the power of, your, of his resurrection. And you want to fellowship with him in his sufferings. And right at this minute... Something is happening inside of you where you're saying, I need, I need to surrender my life to him. I'm tired, Pastor. I'm tired of running my own life. I know that it's because of my sin that I'm separated from him. And something is moving inside of you. This hope is rising. This longing you've never had before. A longing to know him, to worship him. And as this last song plays, here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to have some people up here ready to pray for you. Maybe some of you in this room have said a prayer before. Maybe some of you in this room have been to church for a long time, but you know deep in your heart that today the Spirit's moving on you in such a way that you need to respond. Don't boast in your religious works Respond to your desire to know and worship and follow him. To know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Maybe today you're sitting in this room and you've heard the gospel. Not just Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for you, but you heard that you are a rebellious sinner. And you're like, that makes sense to me. I know I've been running my own life. I didn't want anybody to But today, God has softened your heart and you're saying, I, I want to submit to him. Don't let fear hinder you from responding. For the rest of us, maybe us today who are saying, you know what, I know that by His grace and by His work, save but today I want to worship Him in a fresh way, in a new way. Today as we sing, I want you to worship right where you're at. 
But here's what we're going to do. People are coming right now to stand over here on this, on my left, your right. And if you want prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. For the rest of us, if we could just stand and then I'm going to pray and the band's going to begin to play and we're going to sing together and we're going to worship him and our desire is, God, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. But church, this is a time of responding. This is a time of us not just hearing the word of God, but acting. Whether that means in surrender and worship or coming up and receiving prayer and maybe surrendering our lives for the first time to him. Or maybe rededicating and, and saying, God, I've, I want you. I want you. So, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would take these words, these weak words, these frail words, God, you would take my voice and you would anoint it with your spirit and do what I could not do, that you would go into the hearts of your people and that you would begin to stir the very depths of each one in this room. There's those who feel dead inside, those who are, are longing, who've been running from you, Father, who, you, who, you, who they sense your arms reaching out to them. God, I pray that today would be a day where we would be made alive that the greatest evidence, God, that you are alive still, you are alive, God, is that you are changing and transforming hearts, Lord. So today, we respond with great joy, with worship, with prayer, with singing, God. In Jesus' name. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.